Hello and welcome to Living Word Ministries where everyone is a winner. Join us as we rightly divide the word of truth. So we're talking about preparing for a successful life. So I believe that everyone that is here, including me, you have made up your mind to be successful in this life. Like we said yesterday, success is defined differently. And today is the day that we'll spend some time to have an interactive section. Um, and so just be free. You know, I normally would tell them in church, if I'm, if I'm asking for volunteers and nobody volunteers, that means I get to pick. And I just look at the faces of people that don't want to talk and I just pick them. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So what does success really mean? Anybody? What does success mean to you? What's the definition of a successful life? Uh, okay. Another rule. You know, there are times I'm asking for a definition in church, and then somebody makes it more complex. <laughs> because now I, need to now, you, I need to now ask, what is fulfillment? So I tell them, you know, when, you, when, um, when we want to talk about something, you break it down, you don't make it more complex. Okay, so, because I, and I need to find out what is fulfillment. So what is success? Reaching your own personal goal, okay? Success. Yes? Okay, achieving what you've set out to do in life. Okay. Success. Everybody should have a definition of success. If I say you'll be successful in Jesus' name, you say amen. What does that mean to you? What does that mean? Well, success. Yes? Yes, ma'am? Being fulfilled in all aspects of your life. Don't worry, I can't hear her. <laughs> Being fulfilled in all aspects of your life. You're still using the word fulfilled. Uh, so now you have to define what fulfillment is. <laughs> Reaching a goal. Reaching a goal. Okay? Being satisfied that you've done everything that God created you to do. Okay. Now, do we all agree that it's impossible for you to be successful without God? Do we all agree? Okay. Do you agree that there are people that the world calls successful and God calls them a failure? Okay. Because the way God looks at success, it's different from the way the world looks at success. Now, what's the difference between the success in the world and the success in God? Because there are people that are considered successful in the world. That is true. And as far as the world standard is concerned, they are successful. But when God looks at them, God says, no, they are not successful. Because success with God is different from success in this world. So what's the difference? We use the word because the devil does not have anything original. He doesn't. All he knows how to do is steal, kill, and destroy. So one of the things that he steals every single day is the meaning of words. So he steals the meaning and he redefines words in such a way that 
when you the people will use exactly the same word but it has a different meaning from what God's meaning means. The same thing like we, we're talking about success. So for a lot of people, when they're talking about success, they are talking about, um, you know, really having things that has nothing to do with heaven, have nothing to do with eternity. They're just looking at the here and now. They're looking at the education. They're looking at their kids. They're looking at their house. They're looking at their health. They're looking at their protection. Okay, go on. So is it wrong to use the word, I'm proud of you? It is very wrong to use that biblically. And I'll give you another word also that is wrong for you to use. <laughs> because that word, you realize that over the time, we redefine a lot of words. Let me tell you another word that we use that the Bible also uses differently. is the word love. How many of you love your cars? Or you love your house? How many of you have said, I love that dress? <laughs> How many of you have said, I love that shoe? Come on now. How many of you have said, I, I, I love that phone? Now you're talking. I, you know, I love that TV, that 4K, COVID TV. I love that TV. Do you know that... <laughs> As far as the Bible is concerned, you cannot love somebody or something. You can only love a person. You can't love something. Because, you see, the word love has to be reciprocal. And so when you say, I love this dress, the dress cannot say to you, I love you also. You see, the dress can't say, I love you. The, your car can't wake up one morning if your car says, I love you. You know that something is, <laughs> something is going funky somewhere. Your car can't say that. Your shoe can't say, I, I love you also. So you see, when we take a particular word, and you find that all through the scriptures, you, you see words that God uses, and then the enemy uses that same word with a different meaning. So if you go about saying, I'm proud, if you go about saying, I, I love that house, I love that dress, I, I, I love that stuff. Now, the meaning of that word love is lost on you. So now when you now tell a lady or a man, I love you, it doesn't mean anything because it's like you loving your shoe. And guess what? That's why you realize because that shoe that you love, when that shoe wears out or a newer one comes out, what, do you, what happens to you? What happens? You love the other one. That's why you realize that when sometimes people say, I love you, they don't understand what they are talking about. Because love never gets to a divorce court. You know why? Because God says love never fails. Never fails. So if one day the guy wakes up and doesn't love you again, that means he never loved you to begin with. But he used the word love and you married him and you said, I do, because both of you were confused about the word. Or he was. Most likely both of you were because you agreed. <laughs> because as far as the Bible is concerned, love never fails. He said all these things shall pass away, but love never fails. 
Never. So if a guy or a lady, if they are truly in love, they would never see a divorce court. That guaranteed by God Almighty. If it's real love. But one of the things I realized when, when we do my when we do marriage um, counseling is a love test. And let me tell you one of the questions on our love test that we do. I asked the guy, I said, we would ask the guy, if this lady decide that she's not marrying you again and she found somebody else that she wants to marry, somebody that is way better than you, better looking than you, has more money than you, more spiritual than you. What will you do? And obviously, because I'm a pastor, those guys are like, huh, how do I answer this question properly? <laughs> I said, what will you do? See, that's a love test. What will you do? And most guys will say, well... I'll pray for her that God will help her. It will be painful. But, you know, I would, I'll just um, move on with my life. You see, when people say that, that means you know that they don't understand what love is. For some people, love for them, it's, you know, equates to pleasure. That's what they think love is. That's what they think love is. But not according to the word of God. So you realize that, for example, <laughs> do you know that love has some things that you can tell? So the right answer to that question is this. That if the girl decides that she wants to marry somebody else, that you are still going to pray for her that she'll be successful in that relationship. Now, human love can't, don't do that. Human love can't do that. Because you are like, what is the need for me? Nothing. Why should I be wish wishing another guy success with my girl? Why should I do that, pastor? That doesn't make sense. Yeah. The love of God does not make sense. Why would Jesus die for you? He didn't sin. He didn't commit any sin. He didn't lie. He didn't cheat. No sin. Yeah, he took all the pains. And he took all the beatings. He could have just stayed in heaven. And he went on the cross of Calvary. And the people that killed him were saying, yeah, let the sin be upon us and upon our children. And the Bible says Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they are doing. They say, what are you are talking about? We know what we are doing. We are killing you. <laughs> oh, if you know the love of God. That's why he, you don't want to use that word anyhow. One of the days I was teaching and, oh yeah, pastor, you're too, you're too, um, you're just playing on semantics. It's just a word. I said, okay. If it's just a word, you go to the airport tomorrow morning with a bag. If I have a backpack here. You go to the Itro airport tomorrow morning with a backpack. And when you get in there, just say, ha, I've got a bomb. 
I see what's going to happen to you. You might never be able to fly again for a very long time. But if the police come rushing, oh no, I'm only kidding. I'm, you just, I'm, I was just, I was just kidding. No. Words are not just for communications. Words are spirits. Words are not just for communication. The Bible says, with the word of God, he created all things. Everything that you can see here, created by the word of God. So words are not just for communication. So words are not just, oh yeah, I, I really don't mean it like that. No. It's the enemy that wants us to use our words in such a way that it does not have effect. Because he wants us to just use it to communicate alone. But words are not just for communications. Words are creative. They are creative. So I've given you, and there are several other words. There are several other words. So if you truly love somebody, you realize that what generally really happens is that what people really call love, and that goes down through the years. So you realize that they are so passionate about somebody. And then five years down the line, you know, the passion is going down. And then after some couple of kids, they just don't bother again. That is not the love of God. The scriptural love of God, actually, when you are going older, the love will be getting stronger. Don't you like that? Women, don't you like that? <laughs> if the men are not talking. <laughs> it will be getting stronger. Because you see, the way the world system is, is that things start from brand new. It starts really nice. Look at all the buildings. You know, you go to some areas in London now, you see all those new buildings coming up. And people really want to get one of those beautiful buildings. But go and look at that building 50 years down the line. It's run down again. Look at the cars. You buy the car, brand new. Somebody gets into your car and says, um, let me see, Are you, is your feet okay? Is, is everything fine? Good. Nice car. But look at that car 10 years from now. So every single thing in this world, because the devil is the god of this world system, everything that he touches starts to decay, starts to go down. But not with God Almighty. Everything that Jesus touches, everything that he has control over goes the other way. It goes up. That's why the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18, he said, the light of the righteous man shines brighter and brighter unto the perfect day. So success in this world and success in God are two completely different things. God intends that your last day on earth will be your most successful day on earth. The most successful day. So having said that, so yesterday we began by looking at the fact that you need some things to be successful. Number one, you need to believe in yourself. Can you all remember that? Yes. You need to do what? You need to believe in yourself. Do you have that computer? Does it go on the internet? No, it doesn't. Okay. You need to believe in yourself. Do you know that every single thing that God has given to you, he gave you for a particular reason? 
And I want us to be very, you know, practical today about it. I'm going to be asking some questions. Some of them are tricky questions. Some of them are straightforward. We'll just answer them. Uh, we are going to learn. Is that okay? Okay, thank you. So we want to learn about success, God's way. So who volunteers? Just one volunteer. Somebody that will volunteer. Somebody? Okay, come, sir. You have to learn to believe in yourself. Can we have another mic? Thank you. Can we give him a round of applause? Yes. I appreciate him. So I hope his sister would come the next. Can you introduce yourself? Where you come from? Yeah, what my name you? is um, Javier, and okay. I come from uh, South London. <laughs> okay. What do you do? Uh, I'm a trainee accountant. You're, you're a what? Trainee accountant. Okay. So do you want to tell everybody about your mission on Earth? Um, my mission on Earth is to find and to do the perfect will of God. What is that? What's the perfect will of God? Um, the perfect will of God is to, um, to love God, to love your neighbors, um, and to do his call on my life, where it is that I believe. So what's your nationality? British. Okay. Now, listen to this. I want to listen to this. Uh, and thank you for helping me with that. Now, when I asked him about his nationality, he said he's British. Where are your parents from? Uh, from Ghana. Okay. So, thank you. Well, I, I don't, because I'm going to pick somebody else. Thanks. <laughs> now, now, listen to this. Thank you. Now, listen to this. And it's one of the things I want you to remember. He just said he's British. But then I said, where are your parents from? He said, from Ghana. But do you know one of the things they found out, research-wise, and that's why I wanted the internet, is that people that recognize their parents' origin always do better than people that don't. People that recognize their parents' origin always do better in life than people that don't. So you realize that for the last 10 years on the roll, there is a competition held all across the world, pretty much. But all the people come over to the US, you have to be between the age of 9 or between the age of 7 and 13 for you to get into that, com into that competition. It's called the Spelling Bee competition in the US. And it's done all across the state and internationally for the last eight years. The winners of those competitions have been Indian Americans for the last eight years. Indian Americans. And one of the things they've noticed is this. This is research. That what did they do? What did those kids do? They blended the culture of their parents with the American culture. And suddenly, they became stronger than a normal Indian and a typical American. Praise the Lord. <laughs> so you see, if you are going to be successful, 
The Bible says that don't remove the ancient landmark that your fathers have built. If you're going to be successful, when you define yourself, and this is what I tell my kids, and I'll show you statistics. This is what I tell them. I said, if somebody ever asks you where you come from, the first place you start from is Nigeria, because that's where your father is from. And then you can put the America after it. I said, let me tell you why. Because God Almighty knows exactly the reason why he brought you from where he brought you from. And a lot of us think that is a disadvantage. So we leave the one that we think is a disadvantage and we hold on to the ones that we think is an advantage. But you see, the way God is is that everything, the journey, all the things that he has done, all the things he has put together in you, he has done that for his advantage. Did you choose your parents? How many of you sat with God and decided, I am God? Okay, um, you know, uh, that's the parent I really want. How many of you did that with God? He did. So the beginning of success is to understand that all the things that God did, every single thing that God did, he did that for your success. He packaged you the way he did for your success. He decided that this is the combination of things you would need. You need a combination of some ingredients from Ghana and some from the UK and some from Jamaica. Uh, you know, we have a couple um, at our church. The guy is from Tanzania and the wife is American, but the parents are from Korea. South Korea. The lady just went to volunteer in, um, in Tanzania, and the guy was the interpreter. And the guy began to say, oh, you know what? I'm going to marry you. And she was like, what's wrong with this crazy guy? <laughs> anyway, they got married. And so their kids are very interesting. They speak Swahili and speak um, the South Korean dialect and speak English, obviously. Three languages. But do you know that when they combine all those advantages together, say combine. combine. When they combine all those advantages together, that's a rare breed. You don't get people that can speak the, what they speak in South Korea? Korean. You know, speak Korean, speak Swahili, and speak English. So by the time she applied to the, federal, uh, to the government in the U.S. for a job. How many people do you think have skills like that? Speak Korean, speak English, speak Swahili? You hardly would get people like that. Obviously, the federal government employed her and paid for her to go to medical school with a guaranteed job when she's done with medical school. There are advantages that people throw away every single day. They just throw it away every day. Every single day. But that's where success begins from. Success begins from acknowledging all the things that God has put inside of you. Everything that God has given to you. Your parents is an advantage. There are kids that are ashamed of their parents. When their parents, you know, I have a child that was telling the, the grandfather, um, I don't want you to come to my school dressed like that. You know, I don't want my, my friends to be embarrassed. And, you know, there are people that can't take their, they can't take their friends to home, uh, to their home to meet their parents. 
And the devil deliberately does that so that you cannot take advantage of the things that God has given to you. I have another, you know, there is one of our friends, the elder brother is in the military, in the U.S. military, stationed in South um, Carolina. And he speaks Yoruba, which is the language I speak also. And so why, during this interview, they ask him, do you have any other language skills? He said, yeah, I speak this ancient, this interesting language from Africa called Yoruba. And then they looked into the file, they realized, oh, the U.S. government recognizes that as a language that they need people to speak in the U.S. military. So he gets paid every month extra money for that language. Every single month. He gets his military pay, and then he gets paid <laughs> another stipend because of the language that he has. You have a knowledge of a particular place. You have a knowledge of a culture. There are, you know, one of my, um, um, if you notice, there was someone that came yesterday. She is actually, she works for Goldman Sachs in the U.S., but she's on, um, she was, she's here temporarily for next one year, working for Goldman here. But those people, they know, you know, that people have skills. One of the, one of the, <laughs> she went to a school that predominantly African American goes to. She went to Howard University in Maryland. And Goldman went to recruit her from there because she has an experience of another culture. She's an engineer. But they also understand that if you have a world life experience from another culture, it's an addition to them. Because now you can blend several cultures together. If they have a project to do in Africa, there's one of my friends that works for GE. He lives in the U.S., but he's African, he's Nigerian. So you know what GE did? He handles their projects in Africa. So he lives in the U.S. He, and, in the, and, um, and in Africa, different part of Africa, he lives in Lagos. What a job. But the reason why they asked him to do that is because of his understanding of that part of the world. Of that part of the world. I'm saying to us, church, that you see, there are a lot of things that God has given to you. And you have to be bold. You have to be bold. Tell your neighbor, bold. To declare what God has given to you. You have to be bold to declare what God has given to you if you are going to be successful. You need to be able to define yourself and say, I'm Ghanaian and I'm British. And someone say, what's the meaning of that? Say, I'm both. I'm both. And if your parent is from North Korea, say, I'm not Korean also, Korean. <laughs> Don't leave anything that God has given to you on the table. A lot of us have grown up looking at some things as advantages and some things as disadvantages. And one of the ways you start being successful in life is to understand that God has packaged a lot of unique abilities inside of you for your success in this lifetime. Do you all understand that? So you realize that, you know, there are people that will describe themselves Indian Americans, Irish Americans. Why do they do that? 
Because they don't want to lose out on where they are coming from. They don't want to lose out on, on their heritage. They don't want to lose out on a lot of the things that they have. They don't want to lose out on that. Because God Almighty put that in them. Psalm 139. Psalm 139. This is Psalmist looking at it. Look at verse 13. He said, For you formed my inner path. You covered me in my mother's womb. I'll praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My fame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest part of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance, yet being unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. So there is a God Almighty that already has decided what he wanted to do with your life. When we started this morning and I was asking everybody about what success really means. Oh, well, success means this to me. Success means that to me. If I do this, I'll be successful. If I do that, I'll be successful. You need to understand that success in God begins and ends with God. In other words, he has already decided ahead of time what a successful life really means. He already has a plan for your life before you got here. So your job is not to come up with another plan. Your job is to do what? To discover the plan. Your job is to discover the plan. Your job and my job is to discover the plan that God has for us. So yesterday I did ask us to write our talent, the things that God has given to us. Anyone that wants to volunteer to share some of theirs, Anyone? You're bold enough. You want to share the talent that you have? Yes, go ahead. Um, mine are creativity, uh, musical ability, and business acumen. Okay. Um, I'd say I'm a problem solver. I'm always trying to fix things. Um, I'm a good listener, and um, I'm empathetic. Okay. So when you say problem solving, what do you mean? Like a math problem? It could be anything. Okay. So you don't really like a routine jobs. You like... <laughs> okay. Wonderful. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Now, you see, a lot of the things that you have um, you've figured out about your areas of strength are gifts from God for to every one of us. Now, the next question is, what do you want to do with that talent? So we're going to do a one, go around again. What do you want to do with that talent? You know, somebody might want to be an engineer, somebody. So what do you want to do with that talent in this lifetime? Yep. What do you, no, start, Nikki. <laughs> so um, basically my mission. Yes. Okay. So I wrote that my mission is to have the spirit of excellence in every talent, in every area that God has called me to, to give my very best while representing excellence, and um, to give my all and more just as Daniel did while continually sharpening my gifts, talents, and my instrument, um, giving my all without limiting myself to obtaining perfection. 
Okay, so what field is that? Is that engineering? Is that it's, it's in everything? So giving my all in being creative, in okay. helping others, and in my music. Okay, remember yeah. that there are so many choices that all of us are going to have in this lifetime, mm -hmm. and you do not have enough time to do everything. You don't. Mm. So a lot of things are going to grab your heart. And one of the wisdom of God is to be able to decide which one. I mean, guys, you know this. When you go through trying to get married, you like more than one girl. Is that not true? Sam, is that not true? Huh? <laughs> you do. But you can't marry all of them. So you can't do everything that you like in life. You can't. You are going to marry one. And so one of the things that we are doing this afternoon is you have to be able to identify something, a field. A, like I'm an engineer by profession. But, you know, there's no way I can keep up with all the aspects of even the tiny engineering that I'm involved in. Not possible. I'm not going to be doing any other thing. So you would have to prayerfully decide on what thing. Like you fly the plane, for example, and those are beautiful engineering wonders. But do you know that if you go to Boeing, there are engineers, their job is just the tires for the last 35 years. That's all they do. They just design tires. They don't know anything about the engine. They are called aeronautic engineers, but they are, they are tire specialists. All they do is just make sure that the tire lands well <laughs> and takes off. That's all they do for the last 35 years. So you will see them and you're like, you work for Bowie? Yeah. Wow. But all their job is tires, plane and tires. That's all they have been doing for the last 30-something years. I went to Bowie some years ago, just going around their complex on a tour. So if you want to be an, an engineer and you want to master the whole of that plane, impossible. You can't be an expert. You are going to be average or sub-average, actually. Because a lot of those things are changing. As the tire technology is changing, so also is the landing gear changing, the engines are changing. So you realize that you must be excellent in a particular area. And one of the things that education obviously has done to all of us is that we do all kinds of things in school. We try all kinds of things. So you ask people, why are you taking that course? Well, just in case. Just in case I don't get a job in this area, at least I have this one. And then if I don't get in this one, I have this other one. So we pull a lot of alternatives as insurance. So you must be able, maybe not today, but you must be able to ask the Holy Spirit to narrow it down to a thing. For many years, for 12 years, you know, um, Pastor, uh, well, um, Egan, Egan Senior was, was a pastor. He would teach and was a pastor. And then the Lord said to him, no, that's not what I've called you to do. I've called you to teach. And not just teach the whole Bible. I want you to teach a particular subject. 
So the Lord said to him, go teach my people faith. And he said, for many years, when he gets to a place, and he said, open your Bible to Mark eleven twenty three. Some people say, don't you have another message? <laughs> and he will say to them, when, when you get this one, we'll go to the next one. That's all the Lord asked him to do. Don't pastor, just teach. Don't try to teach baptism and don't try to teach all the doctrines. Just one subject. Go teach my people faith. Until Jesus comes back, his materials are going to be relevant. We are still going to be reading those materials until Jesus comes back. Why? Because he was obedient. But can you imagine if he had stayed as a pastor? He would never have impacted our generations and all of our lives as he did. But he was so specific. You're a teacher, and not just a teacher. You are a teacher called to speak to a, a particular group of people, people that long to understand faith. That is your calling. So there has to be some specificity in terms of the things that God has called you to do. So if you know that, yes, if you don't, as we, you know, as we go along this weekend, the Lord will begin to open that to you. And you can begin to ask the Lord, what exactly would you have me do? Where do, you, where do I fit in? Because there are a lot of things that we all like. It's just like you have those cable channels. There are about 400 and something stations. You can't watch all of them. You try it. You cannot. In fact, they do some TVs now that have multiple stations on one screen. What a confusion. Even with that, you can't keep up. You can't watch two games at the same time and enjoy both of them, can you? No, you can't. You switch from the basketball to the soccer. You switch from that to the tennis. To you can't keep up. So life is like that also. You have... To be, you have to drill down until you find your niche, the things that God has called you to do, and you stay there. Billy Graham, Billy Graham, God told him and called him not to be a pastor. So when he's not ministering, then many years ago, where he would go to many countries, when he's not ministering, he's back to his church. He goes to a Presbyterian church. He's not the pastor of the church. He sits down. He has no business with the church. He's just a regular member in the church when he's not preaching. Amazing. And when he goes out, God did not say go out and preach to people and set up churches. No, he's always going to cities and working with the existing church that are there. Why? His job is an evangelist. That's his job. That is why he was so successful. Was able to talk to over 400 million people. And he's still writing. He wrote a book, Nearing Home just recently. So that's how specific we have to become with the Lord. Because the next thing we're going to talk about will tell you why you need to be that specific. Because people are going to offer you a lot of things. People are going to offer you all kinds of options of things to do. And if you don't know what God has called you to do, guess what's going to happen to you? You're going to be jumping from, from one thing to another. And then you realize that yeah, you are into fashion at the same time. You have this job at the same time. You are into ministry at the same time. You are into music. You are into a lot of things. 
and you don't have the time, the energy, the anointing to do a lot of all the things that this world wants you to do. So even Jesus, <laughs> when they will come to him and say, um, Jesus, my brother and I, you know, we're having some argument concerning um, inheritance. Jesus said, no, that's, not, that's not why I'm here. He was able to prioritize the reason. He knew why he was there. He knew why he came. And he stayed focused to the things that the father called him to do. Okay. Sorry, I have a question. Yeah, go ahead. Based on what you just said. Yes. So are you saying that you can't combine? So for example, if I have two t talents that can combine into something, then it won't work because I'm not focusing on one thing. No, I'm not saying that, that you can't combine those things. But then you, you have to realize that if God gives you, and, and he does, you know, do that. But then you need to be able to drill down and know exactly the, your core area of the things. That's why I gave you those examples. For example, if God has called you to cook, now you might be involved in a lot of industries, cooking for a lot of people. If you are into art or design, you might be designing for a lot of companies. So that means that you are into an engineering company, pharmaceutical company, all kinds of companies designing for them. If you are a linguist, for example, and you have skills, languages, you might be doing that for many companies. But you need to understand that one of the trick or one of the issues that the devil uses against every one of us is lack of focus. He wants to get you involved in a lot of things. A lot of things. And that means that your time and life and energy is being expended in ways that are not okay. When you become successful at something, the tendency is that people will want you to get involved in other things and replicate that success. But guess what? If you are not anointed for those other things, you are not going to make it. And because, like someone said, success is God walking through you to achieve his purpose. So if it's not his purpose, he's not going to walk through you. And that means you are left by yourself. Okay. Yeah. More about what we're supposed to do in our daily lives that link up with our talents and God's yes. purpose for us. Yeah. Okay, well in that case, um I'm a scientist, so I think that's that's what I'm supposed to do. So I work in an area of drug safety and obviously you have to ask a lot of questions. You have to train people, you have to educate people and obviously having an understanding and being able to remember all that I have been taught, not just in my university years, but legislation that's about documents that are about and just, yeah. And you like that? I love my job. Okay. Yeah. You just use that word again. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> 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 I really, really like my job. <laughs> I train myself out. You will. Because <laughs> you want to reserve that word for your husband, for your children, for your church members, for your friends. You don't want to you don't want to use that word for job and shoes and yes go ahead. What's your mission? <laughs> yeah? I don't know what. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, if you don't know, that's fine. That's um, one of the things we're doing this weekend. But I know that God has placed um, people in my heart, and I know that 
happiest ta- um, place, unlocking potential in people. Okay. Um, in my heart, and um, I believe that he is working on me so that um, I see myself as he sees me, so that my potential is unlocked, and by the release that he gives me, it will give a release onto others. Okay. Um, let me quickly say this. A lot of us, are we are starting up something that over the years, you're, you're giving it to her, you know. Yeah. It, it's okay, just hold on. <laughs> yeah. Um, a lot of us, we, we, you might never have done this before. But it's fine. But at least you understand that this is a process that you have to go through by yourself. And so, and the more you ask the Holy Spirit, the more clarity he's going to give to you the more clarity it's going to give to you. You know, the more clarity you will get. But it's important for you to keep at it. Because you see, and this is how you're going to know. You do a job or you do something for a while, and then there is this, you're just tired. You, you're just tired. You just realize that, you know, if, if those people stop paying you, you, you're not showing up. You're not excited. It's not going anywhere. You, there's something in you that just, you know, that, that just, it doesn't sit well in you. Well, God put that there to help you to move on. You know, to help you to move on. That's why God put that there. And so when you begin to have that feeling of that discomfort, what you need to do is begin to ask the Lord, okay, Lord, you know, what, what do you want me to do? Some years back, you know, my wife started working and she became a partner at an hospital. So that means that she was a part owner of the, of the clinic. And that was the only pediatrics clinic in that city. But then she would come home, and she was just working, well, she worked four days a week. And she sits on the board with the rest of the other partners, so they all get to decide what they want to do, pretty much. So she was her own boss. But then she got home after a period of time, and she became really restless. This I don't know, you know, I just don't, I don't think this is all I'm supposed to do. Well, that is the Holy Spirit helping you. Because without the Holy Spirit doing that to all of us, guess what? We all like comfort. And we all will get into our comfort zone and we just stay there. So the Holy Spirit knows that, so he helps us. And he helps us, he brings that discomfort that it's time for you to go, it's time for you to go. And so I would talk to her, and she would say, you know, I, I, I don't really want to practice medicine this way. I'm a, you know, I'm a believer, and sometimes when those patients come, I know this is a demonic problem. This is not a medical problem. But I can't tell them. <laughs> I can't say to them, hey, you need prayers, not medicine. Because they are going to report her. That um, I went to doctors today. I don't know if that doctor even is a real doctor, because that doctor was instead of giving me medicine, the doctor was praying for me. So there was she had constraint. So we began to pray. Now, Lord, you know, you know how she can combine these two things together. How she can be free to minister to patients without breaking the law. And so one of the days I was in my I was in my bedroom, I was praying, and the Lord just said to me, Yep, um, this is where she needs to go. Call this person. 
So I called the person, I, uh, you know, and I said, um, my wife needs to talk to you. Do you have an email or something? He gave me his email. And when my wife got home, I said, call this man or email this man. What the Lord has put in your heart, he will be able to help you with it. And so today, she walks in a place where, guess what? Legally, it's already there outside. These people are Christian doctors. So they pray for you. So if you don't want prayer, don't come. Don't come. Legally, she gets to pray for her patient. She gets to talk about the gospel. And then she gets paid legally to go on missions. So she's going to Guatemala this summer. <laughs> you know. So there are things in your heart, and you all know it. You just, you, you can feel the discomfort. Well, guess what? That is the Lord saying, you are not, you've stayed here enough. I need to move you to where you need to go. So just follow that leading. Just ask the Lord, Lord, as long as you're willing, as long as you're willing, there are people that the Lord might say, yeah, you, you've done enough here. Your next pot of call is in Accra, Ghana. And you say, I bind you, Satan, in Jesus' name. <laughs> You see, that's where, that's where the problem is. But you have no idea the kind of experience the Lord will give you in Accra if you follow him. You can imagine some people that have followed the Lord and they live in Africa, but they earn heroes. Yeah. And so you are dealing with a God that wants you to be flexible in his hands. He wants you to be flexible in his hand. So you might not know everything today, which is fine, but you need to be conscious about that to ask him. The Holy Spirit asks, he has your agenda from day one till you return back. He has it with him. So if you ask him, he will tell you. So you make it a point of duty to ask the Holy Spirit, tell me, you know, show me things I need to do, where I need to go. Things I need, I, need, I need to be involved in so that I don't waste my life. So I don't waste this life that you have given to me. Yes? Okay. I would like to be a social worker. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you want to be a social worker? Because I like helping people. Okay. Yeah. Especially elderly. Okay. Wonderful. Yes. If you have it written down, that's fine. If you don't, that's fine also. We can, we can just pass to the people that already, if you're here yesterday and you had it written down, that's fine. Yeah. The thing that I want to do with my talent is to do the best I can in anything and everything that I do. So what would that be? If I tell you that I, I'm going to give you money, what would you say to me? Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> But if I'm giving you one pound? I would say thank you. Okay. But if I'm giving you 10,000 pounds? The same thank you? Oh. Is it going to be the same thank no, you? Exactly. <laughs> so there has to be a measure of our life. Because when you'd, you know, one of the things that occurs to every one of us is not being able to measure things. And Jesus and Paul were able to measure their lives. Remember we said yesterday, one of the terrible things when people pass away and why we cry so much is because 
we have no concept of measuring life. Because the truth is, if your father, before he passed away, called a meeting, like I said to you, my friend, um, dad, called all the children from different parts. Some were living, some live here in England, in Canada, and Nigeria. And he told all of them, guys, come home. I want all of you to fly home. I need to see all of you one more time. And they were like, oh. So they all went home. They all went to Nigeria, spent time with them, did a lot of fun stuff with all the grandkids. And some months after that, he was gone. Because you see, the concept, and that's why we cry so much. Why? Because it's unexpected. And then we feel the person has not, oh yeah, this guy did not wait to see the grandkids. Uh, this guy did not do this. Oh, the house that he was living, he only lived in that house for two years. But when we have a concept of what we are meant to do here, and we tell our children, and we tell people around us, and I said to them, you know what, my assignment here is to do to win one million souls or to win 10,000 souls. Guess what? By the time somebody brings my record to me and says, well, um, yesterday, sir, we realized you've won 10,000 souls unto the Lord. Do you know what that means? Time to go home has come. So the Lord wants us to have a concept of our time here because we are not, this is not, this is not our home. You know, when you're writing the exams, one of the first things you find with the exams is this. They tell you how much time you have. Is that not true? So you get into the exam hall, and they tell you you have one hour, 30 minutes for this exam. What's the meaning of that? What's the meaning of that? You can what? You can plan. If you don't know how much time you have, you know, I was listening to Kenneth Hagin, um Sr., one of his tapes, and he, he was talking to the Lord about his mom that was sick. Listen to this, very interesting story. And it looks as if she was going to pass away, and, and he said to the Lord, Lord, you know, there were a lot of things I would I really love to do for my mom, and I've not been able to do that. And then the Lord asked him, so how many more years do you want? I really like this. I said, ten, 10 more years will be fine. And as soon as it was that 10 years and she hit 80, she was the one that said, you know what, I'm, I'm really ready to go. I said, yeah, you know, no problem. I think you should go. <laughs> <laughs> but don't be afraid. People are afraid of, they don't even talk about it. That's why sometimes in some cultures, people die and people, they don't know where anything is. They don't know anything about the man. Everything is scattered all over the whole place. And so a family war just begins. So we live as if we're going to live here forever. And we are not. It's like you get into an hotel. This world is like the hotel. If you are not careful, there are some things you do to the hotel room. They will check you out. 
You can't say, oh, no, I don't like this bed sheet, this color. You, you change the bed sheet color. They, they will, maybe, most likely, maybe when the person comes in, they, they will like look at you and say, uh, this is weird. But by the time you start changing the paint of the room, you know they are going to die 911 because you are overstepping. Your, you can't do that. This life is temporary. None of us is going to be here forever. God has a specific thing he wants you to do here. And those things are eternal things. And so when you begin to focus on those eternal things, this life would have a meaning, and then you can plan with the time that you have. There are a lot of people that are living like they are going to be here forever. When Jacob was about to die, he told his people, I'm going. When Joseph was about to die, I'm going. The same thing with Abraham. The same thing with Jesus. The same thing with Paul. Paul, Paul told Timothy, Timothy, I'm done. How did he know he was done? How did he know? The Holy Spirit told him. So the same thing. Ask him, ask the Holy Spirit, why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing with this life? So that when I'm done, I know I'm done. And Lord, I just don't want to be done and just disappear one day. And they, they just say, oh, hey. No, 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 no. You want to be done and have enough time to say your bye-byes. Don't you like that? You know, have all the children and the grandkids and place your hands on them. Hopefully you won't cross your hands. And then bless them and instruct them and eat your favorite food and then go home. But for you to be able to live like that, there has to be a plan. You must ask the Holy Spirit, what am I doing here? Give me a plan. Give me a plan. So that I don't waste the time that you are giving unto me. Just because of our time, let me quickly run through this. There are two people that you're going to meet in this life. As you go through life, there are two people you're going to meet. You're going to meet fire lighters and you're going to meet firefighters. <laughs> you're going to meet fire lighters and you're going to meet fire fighters. The fire lighters are people that believe in your dreams. They believe in you also. They believe in where you're going. You can identify them. And this is an assignment. You know, I've come this weekend to give you a bunch of assignments. As you go through life, you realize that there are people that God will send your way to light your fire. They would encourage you. Every time you meet up with them, they are encouraging. They believe in you. They believe in where you're going. They believe in who you are. Those are people you want to be able to keep. Those are people that you want to have as company. You cannot live this life by yourself. You need a team. That's why the first thing that Jesus did was that he went and he said, Father, there's no way I'm going to be able to do this work by myself because one day I'm coming back to you. So the first thing he settled was this question of the team. The question of the team. Either you're talking about the ministry, you're talking about a team. That's why sometimes, you know, I, <laughs> sometimes I go to pastors' meetings and some of the pastors will say how busy they've been, you know, how they don't have time. And then one day I made a serious mistake. I was having lunch with one of my senior pastors. And then I turned to the wife and I said, when was the last time you took you on vacation? And she said, 
I've been talking to him for the last 10 years. He's always busy. And I said, oh, God, what have I just done? <laughs> because the man was saying, oh, but we've talked about it. We'll go. And, and then she said, and that's how you always say, we will go. When? For the last 10 years. He's always busy. He's always ministry work. And I was sitting down there and said, God, just help me so that we can move on. <laughs> 10 years. Busy. But you've forgotten that. Guess what? The church was here before you were born. The church will be here after you are gone. So the burden of the church should not rest on your shoulder. Only Christ can carry the burden of the church. Only Christ can do that. Carry the burden of the church. There is no way. There is a pastor in the U.S. <laughs> that began to play the lottery because they had all kinds of projects in the church. We're talking about firelighters and firefighters. Firefighters are people that will kill the vision that God has given to you. Firelighters are people that will fan it up. They believe in you. They believe in, what, in who God has called you to be. They believe in your person. Those are people that should form your team. So this pastor began to play the lottery in the U.S., because they had all kinds of needs in his church, all kinds of projects they want to do. And in his mind, I win the lottery one day, I would have enough resources to be able to help in the things of God. But that's not God's way of doing things. So he won millions, millions, took the money. His name came out in the papers. And then the first thing he did when he got to church, well, church, I give glory to God won the lottery and so I don't need the church salary again you know and then this project and that project and this project and this project you know I'm going to fund them and so he gave out a bunch of the money to fund some of the things in the church oh you will say well that's good pastor don't you think so but now listen to this from then the people that started coming to his church increased the bulk of the counseling he was doing were money-related. People were not asking him to pray for them again. They were asking for money. And when he said no, it became a trouble. His wife, you know, had, the wife had some other percent. You can't keep taking calls and just giving people money. You can't keep doing that. They fell out because he was like, well, the reason why I played the lottery was to help people anyway. That's why I'm a pastor. Lost his marriage. They got divorced. The wife walked her out. He fell into depression. And then one day, he woke up and hung himself on the ceiling fan. Committed suicide. Because he was no more a pastor. He had become God. And you can't. He really wanted to solve people's problem. You can't do that. Like I said to you yesterday, one of my mentors, <laughs> you know, worked for Bill Gates for some years. And so I went to visit with him in Seattle, and then he took us for lunch. 
And even Bill Gates, as the richest man in the world, cannot solve the world's problem. So when he told me all the problems they were facing, I was like, you mean you have problems? He said, yeah. Sometimes they don't go to bed until 2 a.m. Because there are people that believe that if they solve the financial problem, their problem is solved. They've forgotten that financial problem comes with problems. <laughs> because now you are so rich, you can't go out by yourself again. You need bodyguards. Now you can't live just anywhere now. You have to live in some special places with security cameras. So God is saying to us that you have to remember you live in this world that involves God Almighty. So the reason why the Lord wants us to do things here is because the earth he has given to the sons of men. So God Almighty works in this earth through men. Just the same way as the devil also walks through men. So whatever is going to be done on this earth is going to be done by human beings. And so you have human beings yielding themselves either to God or to the devil. And then they get the things done here. It's illegal for a spirit to continuously do things here on earth without the body. And that's why when we say somebody dies, what happens is that they lose their body. And that's why they need to leave. Because spirits can't hang around without a body. And that's why demons are, are looking for bodies to inhabit so that they can express themselves. So that's why God would ask us to pray as believers. Because we are the one that he has given the authority of this earth to. So that's why I say, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray. The Bible says God is looking for a man that will stand in the gap so that he will not destroy the nation. So you have to understand that you, you, you know, the things in the past, you can't say, oh, you know what, if, I, if only I've prayed, if, if only I've prayed. Well, look at it this way. This word is a temporary holding place for all of us. You understand? So the people that have passed, if they are believers, you are going to see them very soon again. So with God, death for God, you know, the way people sometimes, you know, um, take death, that's not the way the Bible looks at it. Paul, for example, <laughs> when he went to heaven and came back, he said, uh, I don't even know what I'm doing here. Let me, let me explain something to every one of us. It doesn't matter who has left here. Nobody goes to heaven and wants to come back here. They don't want to come back. Nobody goes to heaven and wants to come back. There was a, <laughs> there was a guy that was playing, um, he was working for Aura Robot, and he was playing basketball, and he had a cardiac arrest, and he died. He, he went, and he passed away. They told the wife, and they got into the hospital and began to pray for him. Seriously, in Oklahoma, in um, Robert University, we got to pray for him. And then he came back after some time. And the first thing he said when he came back is, why did you do that? <laughs> he was asking the wife, what is wrong with you? Why were you praying? Why did you call me back? And he lived, you know, for another three years. 
But when you look at his record, for the three years that he lived before he went back home, he was never comfortable here because he saw heaven. And then one of the things we are going to see about heaven is, you think that you are the one, oh, my husband, my wife, my children, you are the one doing things for them. Guess what? It's God doing things through you for them. So I don't want you, you know, don't allow the enemy to cheat you or to feel that, oh, no, you know, that's, that's you know, your life will have been different. No, no. I guess that's, and, and I'm glad the Lord brought you here today. Because look, look, look at it. Look, look at something. You see, I'm talking to you about being successful. You remember? And I have a child who is in heaven. Maybe you don't know that, and maybe some of you don't know. But my firstborn is in heaven. And I did pray. I was, I was at the hospital, and I did pray. So you, you have to, you see, for you to live a life that is successful, you need to understand the God you are dealing with. The people that live here, they are not lost. Do you understand what I'm saying? They are not lost. That's why understanding the word of God and understanding success is really important to us. I left the hospital. You know, I was, sat, I was standing by the hospital, and obviously I was praying. And the doctors came out and said, well, we tried all the things we could, and uh, the baby went home. And so I went home that day, and... Um, as I was about to sleep, you know, the Lord just said to me, well, you know, there are a lot of things you are going to go through this life that you don't have answers to. You, because with us and with God Almighty, there is a huge gap of understanding. For many years, I, I you know, I'd read a lot of books about Kenetegi. And one of the books I read one year was when he was praying for the sister and prayed and prayed. And he's a man of faith and he had received a lot of answers to his prayers. So he prayed for many and the, and the sister died. And that troubled him. And then one day the Lord took him to heaven. And he saw the sister and the sister said to him, I know why your prayers did not work. <laughs> Don't blame yourself. I know why your prayers did not work. So it's not all up to us. Do you understand? It's not all up to you. It's not like, oh, if I had prayed, that would not have happened. Uh, no, this life is not completely all up to you, especially when it has to do with other people's life, even when it has to do with your life also. So... No, hold on, hold on, hold on. It doesn't matter. I'm just listening. I'm just telling you my experience also. You have to remember, I got home that day because, you see, what you do after those things is what really matters to God. So I got home, and as I was about to go to bed, obviously you, you all the stuff are in the house, and, and for people who have had their kids pass away, that is not an interesting experience for anybody. But as I was about to sleep, the Lord said to me, 
If you wake up the next morning and you begin to sorrow and grieve, people would understand. People would say that's a normal thing to do. People will come and, you know, they will give you handkerchiefs, they would pet you. They would do all that to you. And, and, and that's the normal thing that people expect, that you grieve. But the Lord said to me, but if you don't do that, if you choose to praise me instead, I'm going to give you children that are not going to be normal children. They are going to be extraordinary children. So as I was going to bed, as I was about to sleep, I said, Lord, I choose the second one. <laughs> I mean, what's the, what will grief do to me? <laughs> I mean, you're going to lose both ways. So I said, yeah, Lord, I choose, I, you know, I, yeah, I, I signed up for extraordinary children. But I had a responsibility that when I woke up that next morning, the Lord says, you need to praise me. So that's what last night I said, and then I slept. And then I woke up the next morning, and I just began to praise the Lord. Now, was it, did my flesh cooperate with me? No, you don't start praising God after, your, after you just, the word will say, you remember we are defining words, lose a baby. You don't start praising God then. But that was exactly what I was doing. Just, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Why? The Bible says in all situation, what? Give thanks. Lord, I give you thanks. Lord, I give you thanks. And that morning I said to myself, I'm going to have breakfast. Normally I don't even have breakfast normally. But that day I was like, I'm going to have breakfast this morning. Because you want to learn how to be successful, you have to think like God Almighty. You can't think like the world and have the success of God. So everyone that saw me that day, they had no idea because I was not taking the sorrow and I was not taking the grief. I was not taking any calls, you know. And the same thing I said to my wife. I said to her, well, this is exactly what the Lord said to me. And so this is what we're going to do. We are going to praise him. We are going to give him praise. We are going to worship him. We are going to thank him. Because he's good, he's faithful. Obviously, the devil wants us to question him. Why? Why did you allow this to happen? Why? Was it something I did or something my wife did or my father did or my mother did? Or and I began to do that. Just praise him. Just thank him. Sometimes when people try to come to comfort me, I say, no. I said, I, the, I, the God that I serve is a faithful God. He's a good God. He's a good God. He's a good and a faithful God. Do you know that my daughter was 10 years old? She was 10, and I was preaching. That was when she realized she was not the firstborn. She was 10. And I was just ministering, and I was preaching. That was when she got home, and she said, You know, I didn't know that I was not the firstborn. Because there was no grief around our life or our home. No grief. And everywhere that we have gone, you know, when my, when my daughter was leaving middle school, they have won award for the best student in the whole of the school, for the whole local government, county, you know, your, I don't know what, what's it called here? County? 
Yeah. You know. She won the award. They called us. We were standing there with our pictures in the newspapers. <laughs> and I was saying, God, I like this. <laughs> we still have the newspapers. So I go around the house. I say, children, you are not normal. You are extraordinary children. Extraordinary children. You're going to do extraordinary things. So you have to, uh, you know, and we can talk afterwards, after the service. But you have to understand that you are dealing with a God that is a faithful God. You are dealing with a heavenly father that is faithful. I'm flying back on Tuesday, this, the next weekend, like the next Saturday, next weekend. I'm going to be going for a, a, um, a birthday celebration of a young lady. She's going to be 40. And her husband just passed away in October last year. And so she was not meant to be celebrating. Why are you celebrating? And especially because the tradition and the culture says you wait for a whole year. But I went and I said to her, you need to celebrate because God is faithful. Because for every one of us, the devil wants to tell us how unfaithful God is. He wants to give us all kinds of, why did God allow this? Why did God allow that? Why did God allow this? And if you have time, I know a lot of people don't read the book of Job. But if you read through the whole book of Job, you realize that as long as Job was asking God why, he wasn't getting any answer from God. Because he's our maker. We are not his maker. So if you go to him and you ask him why, even if he tells you the why, you can't understand the why. So for a whole 35 chapters, Job kept asking the Lord, why, 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 why? Until the Lord says, okay, Job, let me ask you questions also. And he said, Job, what is the weight of the cloud? Job said, what's the meaning of that? He said, you don't know that? He said, hold, okay, hold on. How many stars do I have there? Job said, what has that got to do with what I'm going through? God said, no, but you, you, are, you are the one asking your creator why. Okay, come. How many sound of, in the ocean, did you weigh them? What's the weight of the sound? And by the time Job said, um, God, um, I think these questions are getting too much. God said, no, I'm not done with you yet. I still have more questions to get. Let me show you so that that way it's not like, it's not like I'm, I'm, I'm telling you a story. But you might want to do that yourself and look at the whole book of Job. But I want you to look at Job chapter 40 verse 6. Or not Job chapter 40 from verse 1. Job chapter 40 from verse 1. Look at it. The Bible says, moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, yes, <laughs> shall the one who contend with the Almighty correct him? No, verse 2. He who rebukes God, let him answer it. Yes, verse 3. Job answered the Lord and said, <laughs> he said, behold, I'm vow. 
What shall I answer you? I lay my hands upon my mouth, okay? Once I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yes, twice, but I will proceed no further. Verse 6. Then the Lord answered Job out of the wild wind and said, okay? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. All the questions that Job, remember, this was a man that did not lose one child. He lost all of them. Not only did he lose all the children, listen to this, he also lost his health. He lost all his possessions. And his wife <laughs> came. Remember what I said about love. If somebody really loves you, they can never stop loving you. If they stop loving you, they never loved you to begin with. So the wife came and said, just cause God and die. Just end this mystery. So this was the state of this man. No man had ever gone from the height to the depths that as, he, as he did. And he had all kinds of questions for God. But do you know that when you read the book of Job, God never answered those questions. But what God took an issue with, with Job, is Job asking God questions. So if you are going to be successful in this life, you are going to have firelighters and firefighters. And firefighters are people that are going to make you ask questions from the Lord. Fire, you know, firefighters <laughs> are people that will come up with, well, you know, it might be for the best. You know, the Lord give it, and the Lord take it. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Firelighters are the ones that would encourage you in the things of God. The Bible says we know in part, and we prophesy in part. Everything we are doing here is in part. He said, but when we shall see him, then we shall know. So we are living in this world by faith. There are a lot of things that we don't know why. But we trust the character of God. But we don't know why. And he's not going to tell us why. But he wants us to trust him. Avoid negative people who throw cold water on the fire of your passion. Don't listen to them when they make statements like these. This is not practical. We've tried that once and it failed. We have never done that before. The idea will not work here. This is not the way we do things around here. It will never work. Who will do the, all the extra work? Who do you think you are? <laughs> Who do you think you are? You know. Who do you think you are? So you're going to have time. Spend time with people who encourage your dreams and ignite your passion. So that's why Jesus had 12 people. 12 people that ignited his passion, believed in his dream. And he didn't bother about the crowd. There are some of us that we don't have people that we are committed to. We have crowd. We have people. We have mixed multitude. And today, I want you to separate those people. Locate people. Have people that you say, you know, these are people that are lighters. These are people that are fire lighters in my life. These are people. There are people that call me and I don't return their calls. There are people that call me and I'm returning their calls immediately. You will know. You will know people that believe in you. 
You will know people that believe in what God has put inside of you. You've heard me say it before, but you know, the first time I got here that I came to Living World, I, all I wanted to do was just go to school, go to engineering school, finish up and end up in a lab. And I got here and I was standing at the back at the auditorium there. And as pastor was finishing the service, he just looked and says, um, you come. And I was thinking, who is he talking to? He can't be talking to me. He doesn't even know me. That was my first day. I said, come. So I walked, I walked to the front, obviously thinking, what is he about to do? What is going on in this place? And I said, um, end the service. I'm thinking, end which service? So he gave me the mic, and I did. And afterwards, he began to talk to me about uh, the, the hands of lost upon you. And now, <laughs> not me. I don't know what he ate that money. But definitely, no, I am not going to be a preacher. I am going to go to engineering school and end up in the lab. But I'm sure you know I'm a preacher today. <laughs> so God will send people your way. He will send people your way. Guess what? The devil would also send people your way. To steal, to kill, and to destroy the vision that God has given to you. It's your job to be able to separate the people that are sent by God from the people that are sent by the devil. And you need to pay attention to the people that are sent by God. So there are people I take time. There is, you know, one of... <laughs> There's um, one of our senior friends that everywhere he moved, he went and lived in Brussels. I said, well, sweetheart, I told my wife, let's go get a visa for Brussels. What language did they speak in that place? But we have to go. That's where he lives. So we took time and we went to spend some time with him. Not because it was convenient. There are people that I won't take a five-minute journey to their house. I won't bother. But I took the whole of my family and we went all the way to Brussels to spend time with him. So there are fire lighters. Do you have some fire lighters in your life? People that believe in you. People that love you. They, it doesn't matter what you do or you don't do. They are committed to you. Well, you want to pray and keep those ones. They, uh, do you have some firefighters? People that are always telling you, who do you think you are? Just go make some money. When you tell them about your journey, they say, you? You want to produce music? Where? What, what, where do you think you're going? Oh, I saw myself ministry to 10,000. 10,000. You've never missed that to one. You are talking 10,000. Those are not the people that God would have you spend time with. Praise the Lord. So you want to make a list of people in your life who try to put out the fire of your passion. And you want to be able to make a list of people past and present, who will inspire you. You want to establish some specific plan to spend more time with them. You know, spend time with them. I wanted to list three people that you need to serve by helping to light the fire of their passion. In other words, you also have to learn to sow. You have to learn to light people's passion. Don't work for the devil by putting out people's passion. When they come to you and they tell you some things that they want to do, yeah, you might not believe in that. Maybe that's not what you want to do. But don't kill their passion. Don't kill their passion. 
there are things that my children want to do that, I, you know, sometimes I, I don't even know what that means, but that's their passion. That's their passion. For many years, I'm soon rounding up, for many years, you know, we'll be having devotion in the house and my son would not sing. And I will force him to sing during devotion. Sing, man! And he would not. He would just be beating all kinds of stuff everywhere. I'm like, sing! Stop banging all this stuff! And then one day I got devotion and the Lord just spoke to me. Leave him alone. Ah, okay. So I left him alone. But it was not comfortable for me. It was irritating me. I wanted him to sing and he would not sing. He would just be banging the chairs and banging anything with his hands and his feet. And then one day the Lord said to me, go buy him a drum. So I said, okay. So I bought him the drum and his room is next to mine. So he put the drum in his room and I, you know, then I was working from home. I had an office attached to my room. So I was working from home and his, his, his room was next to mine and he had his drum there. Oh my, when he started playing the thing, oh, I want to jump up, I want to stop. And I'm thinking, who bought the drum for him? <laughs> I'm talking about fire lighters. So I would leave him and like, initially I said, you know what? Maybe I should take the drum to the basement or somewhere. But it occurred to me that if I do that, he might not go there. But if it's in his room, he would play it. So I got used to him making the quote-unquote noise in the drum. He just, he just does that. And he did that for some while. And then my wife, my wife uh, got a place, got somebody who was really good with drums. So you have to refine your passion. You have to say to yourself, if you're a choir member, you have to take it to the next level. There's always a next level for every one of us. You should not be content staying where you are today. You have to be willing to take everything you're doing to the next level. So my wife looked for somebody, you know, who was an outstanding instructor in drums to teach him. And so we paid. And so he took training in, in drums and reading notes and reading a lot of those things for some for a while. Guess what? He's 12 years old now, and his music teacher personally requested that he comes to drum for the school. That is how good he is on those drums now. But then I look at where he started from. So when we have devotions in the house now, and he, he doesn't still sing, he just does his drum. I said, go ahead, son. Bang whatever you want to bang. What do I get for you to bang? You go ahead and do the banging. You have to encourage people. You have to learn to find out. You have to understand that everyone you are dealing with also, there's something in them. And encourage them. Let people leave your present encouraged. Not they leave you and they're like, oh God, what, what will I do with this life now? No, don't be like that. You're a firefighter. And if you're a firefighter in other people's life, guess who you're going to be attracting to your own life also? Firefighters. But encourage people. Be a blessing to them. Look for three people that you're going to encourage. Make a note of that. Three people that are going to encourage you. Three people that you are going to invest in encouraging. In encouraging. 
It doesn't matter where they are. Look at how God encouraged, look at how God encouraged Jacob. Jacob was something else. I mean, Jacob was, look at his name. His name, Swindler. But look at how God encouraged him until he became Israel. Look at how Joseph encouraged his brothers. Those brothers were going to kill him. They were going to really kill him. If not for Reuben, they would have killed him. But see how he encouraged them. When they showed up and he looked at them, ah, they've come. But he encouraged them. When their father died, they were so afraid. They said, Joseph, before our father died, he said we should tell you that please forgive your brothers of their sins. Don't take it out on them. And he broke down and he began to cry. But when you look at this record in the Psalms, you would understand why. Because he said to them, the Lord sent me ahead of you to preserve you. So don't blame yourself. Don't, don't blame yourself. The Lord sent me ahead. So be an encourager of people's dreams. There are people that are going to be around you. Don't shut them down. Don't be an encourager. Find a way to encourage them. You know, one of the things as a pastor that I find out is that sometimes people sit down and they tell me some, I mean, impossible dreams. And my job is to encourage people. Why? Because from those impossible dreams, the Lord will bring out of it the possible dreams. But when you kill the impossible dreams, they don't even want to dream again. And there are people that just don't want to dream. Because the people all around them are just negative. Every time they come up with something, they're like, just go make money. Just go do a job and make money. And so they've killed those dreams. But you're going to say to yourself, you're going to say to God this afternoon, I am not going to do that to any human being. I am not, you know, I'm not going to write anybody off. I'm not going to give up on anybody. And then I'm not going to give up on myself. I'm not going to give up on myself. Praise the Lord. Let us pray. You're really precious to God. And God does not want, he, he will never give up on you. Never give up on you. Look at the way Samson lived his life. And even though he lived it in such a way that it pained God, his eyes were out. The Bible says as he prayed to God, his air began to grow again. And he got the strength to be able to kill more people at his death, more than he killed while he was alive. And when you go and look at Hebrews chapter 11, <laughs> the Bible says, by faith, Samson. God did not disown him. He didn't disown him. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter how your past have looked like. There's a God Almighty that will never disown you. So I want you to lift up your voice to him this afternoon and just say, Lord, I thank you. I, I thank you. It doesn't matter what, it doesn't matter. The Lord God Almighty, his love is so strong. He's committed to the dream that he has for you. He will never give up on you. He will never. The thief had just a few minutes. And the thief said, Jesus, when you get to your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus said, today you are going to be with me in paradise. Oh, God's love never runs out. His love never runs out. 
his love never runs out. Remember, we define what love is. If you ever love somebody, you can never stop loving them. If you stop loving them, you never love them in the first place. That is God Almighty. He said love never fails. So the love of God for you never fails. So it doesn't really matter what has happened in your past. It doesn't matter what the enemy has done. It doesn't matter what you have done through ignorance. There is the love of God available. And so I want you to say, Lord, I believe in myself. I believe in you. I believe in who you've created. I'm never going to give up on myself. I'm never going to give up on the dreams you've given to me. I'm never going to be negative around people. Lord, I'm, I'm reclaiming the fire, the passion. I'm reclaiming everything back. All the things that the Lord has spoken to you, he wants to bring them to pass. He wants to bring them to pass. The Bible says the latter days of Job was better than the beginning because the Lord gave him everything he lost and he became the richest man again. <laughs> oh, that's God Almighty. That is Jehovah God Almighty. At the end of the story, of all of our story in this life, you are not going to end a failure in the name of the Lord Jesus. You will not end a failure. Your life will not end up in a disaster in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus. God Almighty, it doesn't matter how bad things have been. He's the one that is able to restructure our lives again and bring out his will, his perfect will, out of all the things that we've gone through. Oh, Father, we give you praise. Just lift up our voice. Just speak to him. Just speak to him. Thank him. Thank him. You are a masterpiece. You, you are a masterpiece. You are a masterpiece. Oh, I say you are a masterpiece. Oh, Father, I give you praise, oh God. <laughs> praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We give you thanks. 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 Oh, we give you thanks, oh God. We bless your holy name. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. You know, there are two women that, I, <laughs> that have outstanding ministries. I mean, outstanding ministries. One of them gave birth, you know, got pregnant, gave birth. And then it was after she gave birth, you know, that she got married. The other one has been married three times. And do you know that the world would never give them a chance? In fact, the church sometimes would never give them a chance. But you are dealing with a God Almighty who does not write anyone off. He doesn't write us off. He doesn't give up on us. Moses had a dream from God. <laughs> and for 40 years, he, he, he ran away for that. And God said, Moses, you know, the reason why I gave birth to you, why Pharaoh did not kill you in the first place, why I made sure that the daughter of Pharaoh was bathing, and why I made sure that you went into the house of Pharaoh was because I had an assignment for you that you would deliver my people. Yeah, even though you have ran away from Egypt, I have not forgotten. I have not given up on you yet. I wanted to go back and do what I created you to do. So I speak to you in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus that the things that God Almighty has created you to do, you will fulfill in your lifetime. The devil might be telling you, oh, it's too late. He's just talking to all the young ones. It's too late. It's too late for us. It's, it's too, those of us, I mean, it's, 
I'm saying by the spirit of the living God that the Lord sent me to tell you it is not late for you. It's not late for you. A man was 67 years old. 67 years old, and then he woke up, and the Lord gave him an idea of food. And so he began when he was 67 years old, or 64, I think. That was when he started KFC at 64. There was one lady that was 65, and she began to think, you know, I really want to be a doctor. And so she went to medical school at 65, finished at 69, graduated with people that were old enough to be her grandkids, took very nice pictures. But she became a doctor. The dream that God has put inside of her, she realized it. Someone will say, so how long did she practice? 25 years. She practiced for 25 years before she retired. So don't give up. Because I sense within my spirit that someone will say, oh, I wish I have had this some years back. Oh, I wish I had had this before I chose that major in college. Forget the college. There's a God Almighty that has put a dream inside of you. He wants to fulfill it. He's powerful. He's strong enough to fulfill it. He was the one that brought everything that Job lost. He brought it back to him. And so everything that you've lost, he will bring it back. In the mighty name of the Lord Jesus, he will bring it back gloriously in a beautiful way. In the mighty name of Jesus, you will die fulfilled, fulfilling the reason why God sent you here in the first place. And years after, when people look at you and they look at your story of your life, they will give glory to your heavenly father who is in heaven. We give you all the glory and we thank you, Father, for this afternoon. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Thank you for listening. Join us for our weekly Sunday service at 10.30am at 336 Brixton Road. We hope you were blessed.